Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. This is the Area 941 Radio Walensky Podcast. I'm Richard Walensky, and we're talking about books, about theater, about film, about television, and from time to time, even about KPFA, Pacifica Radio. My guests are Joey Origo, who is the lead, was, in Cirque du Soleil Volta, and Bradley Henderson, who is a shape-diving artist, an acrobat, also in Volta. What is the origin of this particular Cirque du Soleil show? I mean, how did it start? Since you're the lead, were you part of the original conception? Brad and I were both part of the creation of Volta, and we started the creation uh, late 2016. We were both casted as the original cast, and it's, Volta was the show that was going to take Cirque du Soleil to new heights, and we incorporated action sports and a theatrical aspect to the show that was going to help or that the action sports were going to help tell the story of what we were doing with Volta. And the underlying theme of Volta is finding your free, finding your own self-acceptance and being exactly who you're supposed to be and who you are. How does the original conception happen? I mean, when you were talking to each other, how does a Cirque du Soleil show start? They approach the artists occasionally to see what we thought, but at the same time, the directors had their vision, and we were all kind of just plugged into this storyline. And actually, since the beginning, the story's changed quite a bit. Like, small act-to-act, it has little changes. Yeah, the creation process was six months and a lot of switching things around and trying to find the formula that was best fitting for the show. When you're talking about finding a formula, does that mean finding which acts are going to fit into the context of the story? As some acts come in and out, it all depends on the artists that are in the show at that time. How many acts do you have to pick from? Do you have like a whole chart? It's infinite. It's anything, you know, and that's kind of like with the casting process for Cirque du Soleil in general. You know, sometimes Cirque is looking for specific artists to do a specific act, but sometimes Cirque is just looking for any artist who can do absolutely anything because that's what makes Cirque so special and so fantastic with the way that they cast artists is that they see new innovative acts that they love to bring in to incorporate to their shows to make them better than anything else because they can incorporate things that they've never seen before. They get inspired too in their database, like their circus artists are coming from all around the world. They really just handpick the best of the best. Each artist has a different story of how they got to Volta. For me personally, I was on another Cirque du Soleil show called Kuza, and I was, again, the principal character on that show. I was performing a very different character than what I do here, but the casting call that was put out for this character specifically, I didn't even hear about it. It was my director from the other show had brought me over here because she thought it was going to be a good opportunity for me, and she thought I would fit the role really nicely, and it's only done such great things for me because it's been such a great show and an amazing character for me. When you say that you were brought over, Mm -hmm. then the show kind of existed before you Any Cirque du Soleil show before it started in creation has been going for years upon years in backdoor offices at the Cirque du Soleil headquarters in Montreal. It takes so much planning. I started October of 2016, and it was at that point for those six, seven months prior to us opening in April of 2017. I was in at the Montreal headquarters, and we were workshopping ideas. You know, we were learning about who this character was and what this show was going to be, and 
I mean, frankly, yes, as soon as the show premiered, yes, we had a show, but we're still changing it. We're still making changes. It's still growing. We still have old artists leaving, new artists coming in, and, you know, the show is constantly evolving. How quickly can you incorporate someone into a show like this? Like if a great acrobat comes along and you say, wow, this would be great, and someone is leaving at the same time, how quickly does that happen? I think it really depends on the specific artist. Some people, they'll be able to learn the choreography quicker than other people, but at the same time, I think there's always a period of time where they let us, they don't rush anything, so we don't really have to have them involved sooner than they're ready. Yeah, everything's done with a time and manner so that people feel comfortable and it's safe when they're on stage. It's never rushed, but at the same time, injuries happen unexpectedly and it alters the act. And sometimes we really do have to just get them in as quick as possible. But it's never too rushed to be unsafe. Having injuries can set us back. You know, we do all we can for injury prevention and take care of our bodies to make sure that we're on top of our game at all time. We try to do all of the things that we can to keep our bodies safe. Cirque does have a safety protocol. Like we have a protocol of how we integrate artists into the show. And, you know, if Cirque has any doubt in their mind that the artist is not ready to perform these skills on stage with complete safety, we won't do it yet. There's no point in doing that. Accidents happen. They happen on the street. They happen at the bus stop. They happen everywhere. So, of course, they're more than welcome to happen here. It's it's what's going to happen. But we do have many, many safety protocols here at Cirque du Soleil that have prevented many, many accidents in the last 35 years of the company. I'd like to talk a little about how both of you came to Cirque du Soleil. So, Bradley, let's start with you. You grew up in San Francisco. Yeah, I grew up in San Francisco. At around the age of eight, my, I started out with gymnastics for like a year, but then I found this circus school in San Francisco, and then did that till I was about 18. It's the Circus Center. It's right next to Kizar Stadium. And then after that, uh, yeah, I went to Montreal and then worked with the Seven Fingers of the Hand. It's another circus company. I worked with them for a long time, attended the, the Montreal Circus School, and then after that, finally, I've had the chance within the last couple of years to work for Circus Soleil. Did Cirque du Soleil contact you, or how uh, did that work? I actually knew one of... The, my other cast members, he requested that they speak with me, and then he actually helped me get the job. A lot of times it's like word of mouth, and I feel like I had already done some um, circus shows, and maybe they had heard of me, but I've been doing that specific art form for a really long time, so it helps. When you started, what were you doing? Yeah, as a kid, I was doing Chinese acrobatics. What is Chinese acrobatics? So there's certain disciplines that are ancient Chinese art forms, like Chinese hoop diving, Chinese pole climbing. And in this show I do, it's called shape diving. That's what we call it in the show, but really it's Chinese hoop diving. I had a coach from San Francisco. His name was Mr. Lu Yi. He's very famous. He's got over 50 plus artists that have all trained in the Bay Area and then left to go work for Cirque du Soleil. And uh, yeah, I had the privilege of working with him and uh, just been doing it ever since then. So you got tired of it? Uh I mean, certain days are very strenuous on your body. It depends. I think now I'm 34. It feels a little bit harder than when I was in my early 20s. And now, like Joey said, I just keep, you know, everybody has body maintenance. They have to do their physical therapy. They have to do body conditioning so that the injuries can be prevented. Are you doing it by yourself then? Uh, no, I have a team of five guys and Joey jumps the hoops with us. It's a really special moment in the show because we're kind of like encouraging Waz to embrace his free in this moment, switching from his gray character and like really letting his color shine, jumping through and tumbling through these hoops. So I think it's a transitional moment in the, sh in the show. 
So have you always been working with these particular people? No, that's another thing. I have like one of the guys that I knew from before and the rest of the four artists that I'm working with now, I hadn't worked with them in the past. So we've really had to bond and work really as a team to be able to f pull off this act. Within the context of the act, who does the choreography to set it up? Is there one of you who does that? No, we had an artistic director that helped us like build the choreography from the beginning. They influenced a lot. They shaped the act, and we always proposed things, and she was feeding off our energy and then ultimately had the final say in creating the number. The costumes and all of that, somebody is watching and says, hey, this will work? Uh, yeah, our costumes were kind of last-minute decision, but they ended up being pretty cool. I think the colors and the style is nice, and it always has to work with the tumbling that you're doing or whatever it is, the apparatus. It has to fit and be comfortable and be able to still make it so you can do all your tricks. Have you ever had a situation where the costume is like, ah, I can't do it? Ah. In the beginning, we had masks on the back of our heads, and we figured that every time we were doing a, like a roll on the ground, it was going to be cumbersome, annoying, and they cut that, and we ended up switching the costumes. Originally, we had costumes that weren't going to be maybe the best for us, and now we're really happy with the costumes we have. How, how much are you on stage? I mean, you have your one main act, you and you're on at the finale, right? All the artists have several cues they have to do throughout the performance. So we have like these moments where we're interacting with the characters on stage, and then we all usually have our main number, and the shape diving is the main time that I'm on stage. You're going to continue doing this for a while? or I mean, you're 34. That's... Yeah, I'd say I got a few years left. <laughs> I'm really riding it out, trying to stay injury-free, and for the moment, it's really great. Well, you're also working in San Francisco with kids? Occasionally, I'll go back to the Circus Center on Frederick Street here in San Francisco and touch base with all my old coaches and see the people that are training over there. I always like to go back to that gym and train and try to help out over at that circus school. Joey Arrigo, now I read that you were actually in a dance class at the age of three? Yes. It's your classic chorus line story. My mother put my sister into dance classes and I was there to drop her off and pick her up. And, you know, she was just there complacently taking her dance class at the age of, what was she at that point, four or five. And I would stand at the door with stars in my eyes because I knew that this was something I needed to do. Before I knew it, I was signed up. And before I knew it, I couldn't do anything else. I fell in love with it immediately. And every aspect of it that I could get into, I did. Tap dancing, ballet, acrobatics, musical theater, lyrical, everything. It fueled my soul at a very young age. It was something I knew I wanted to do. And very soon after that, at five years old, was when I saw my very first VHS tape of Cirque du Soleil. Normally, when somebody trains as a ballet dancer or a Broadway dancer or whatever, that's the area they go into. So you were doing ballet at an early age? Well, I started ballet at around six. And sure, yes, when people say that I'm going to train ballet and I'm going to be in a ballet company, that's probably what's going to end up happening for them. Ballet was one of the many dance styles that I was training. It wasn't something that I necessarily fell in love with immediately. I learned to love ballet over time because ballet is the basis of, of dance. Ballet is the basis of all techniques of dance. So if you want to be a great dancer, you pretty much have to be great at ballet so that you know your body well enough to basically take on any style of dance. So that's what I did. I learned to take ballet as my religion, and um, it was able to let my body do whatever I wanted it to. And that got me to a place of strength that I got to know my body so well. And I was able to take my talent to a place where I could show Cirque who I was and what I was able to do. How did you get involved in Cirque? So I first auditioned when I was 18 years old. 
Was that an open audition or something? It was for a specific role in Las Vegas for one of the shows there. It was a role that I knew I wasn't quite right for, but I said, I don't care. I'm going to show up at the audition anyway. I just want to show them who I am. And it ended up working out for me because there was five people who showed up to this audition. It was very closed door, very quiet. I had an agent who had got me into this audition. And uh, there were two of us that stayed to the end of the audition and they put us on the casting database. So Cirque has a a database that they kind of just have artists within so that when they go to cast people, they just pull them right from their database. So I was put into that database due to complications with what I had going on in my career at that time. I was doing So You Think You Can Dance Canada. I joined a company called The Bad Boys of Dance and toured Europe. There was certain things that kept me from being able to take that first contract with Cirque by the age of 21. So it was 2014. I said enough was enough and Cirque had offered me another contract. So I tossed away everything else and ran away with the circus. Does Cirque pay better than everyone else? Any of those other jobs I had? Yes, <laughs> for sure. I'm, sh- I'm sure there's other jobs that I could find that could right, really get yeah. the money. But uh, this check was cute. So I was like, all right, I, I can I can make this happen. The thing is, though, I looked over this first contract that I had and I I didn't even really look at it. I was just so excited to be a part of this company. Right. You know, I I've, I've been in the company almost 5 years now and uh man, I wouldn't I wouldn't have changed anything. You get in there and you're a dancer. You're not jumping through hoops. Well, now I you are. Actually. Now you are. So, I was trained as an acrobat as well growing oh, up in Newmarket in Canada. Yes. So, as a competitive dancer, one of the aspects of competitive dance is acrobatic dancing. And it was something that not only did I excel in, it was something that really fueled my heart. I had the body type for it. My back was always very flexible. I was always very passionate about going upside down and tumbling and bending my body. And it was just something that I wanted to continue doing. And it was something that I excelled in. And knowing that Cirque du Soleil was out there, knowing that Cirque was somewhere that I could use my acrobatic skill, my theatrical skill, my ballet technique, all of those things. That's what kind of ended me up here is because... I can use everything that I've trained to do right here. How do you get the lead in that first show you got the lead in? Well, there is that luck of being typecast. That role was called the trickster. The trickster was a very strong-sensed being on stage. You definitely needed to be able to hold the stage, hold the show. It was a very central character in that show and had a lot of traveling amongst the stage, jumping, and very. he was a very agile character. It was a really nice opportunity for me as a dancer acrobat to step into a role where I could start doing a lot more acting and start getting into the head of being a character, which really took me into Volta. I don't think I would have had as much success in Volta had I not had that under my belt first. I had so much more experience coming into this to really get into the head of who Waz was and who who he wanted to be portrayed as in finding his free spirit. You're listening to interviews with members of the Cirque du Soleil touring company of Volta, which is in the Big Top at the AT&T Park parking lot in San Francisco through February 3rd, 2019. This was Joey Arrigo, who plays Waz, the central character in Volta, and Bradley Henderson, an acrobat and hoop diving specialist in the show. Coming up now, a talk with the Cirque publicist, Montreal native Stephen Ross, concerning more general questions about Cirque. Things have gotten strange politically between the U.S. and Canada because of the guy in the White House. Has that affected how you can get acts from 
Canada or other countries? Has the situation with visas changed at all? The way things work is that whether it be going to the United States or any different country, when you travel as a working person, there has to be a reason for you to be working from a different country into a new land, in this case being the States. The people we work with at Cirque du Soleil are always the best of the best. So when we bring an athlete, for example, or a technician, we work with him because he's the best in the world. If we get someone from Spain, it's because it was not possible to get him in France or US or Canada. So there's no problem for us to travel with our artists and our technicians because they are the one person required for that specific show. However, anyone that we can hire from the States, we do. So in any traveling shows, we hire up to 200 people from every city for all the jobs that can be quickly learned. For example, customer service or security or usher, box office, all of these people are from the area where we are. So in this case, it's going to be up to 200 people in San Francisco and 200 people in San Jose when we go there in February. One element of Cirque is the international nature of the company. How many languages are actually going on at Cirque? How many ethnicities do you have involved? So altogether at Cirque du Soleil, there's uh, 50 different nationalities. That's 25 different languages for Cirque du Soleil worldwide, which is 4,000 people. On Volta, precisely, we have 25 different nationalities. I believe I counted something like 10, 15 languages, but then uh, I couldn't be quoted on that. But we have 25 nationalities on Volta. How is the communication set up? The employees must speak English as per contract to make things easier, uh, safer, and more enjoyable. Even though we're a French-Canadian company, uh, everyone has to speak English. Uh, one good example is uh, our superstar rope skipping team from Japan. Not many people speak Japanese, so they have to speak English so that we all communicate well together and uh, everyone must speak English. Even if we all speak uh, Spanish or even if we all speak French, together on the working ground, we speak English. Do you have any kind of English tutor on site or anything or the performer's responsibility? When people are hired at Cirque, uh, the artists, they get spend six weeks in Montreal, the head office, where they learn their costume, their makeup, their choreography, and also they get English uh, perfection courses, if you will, to uh, get them to the to the level where they, they can be uh, functional. Um, one of our artists is from Brazil, uh, did not speak a word of English when he started, and then uh, he spent uh, some time in Montreal, did the creation, and then now he's uh, almost bilingual. There were a couple of deaths at Cirque du Soleil. You're a publicist. You have to deal with that. How do you deal with that? Do you just get the information on what to say from the um, main office? How does that work? Well, when there is uh, security uh, things that happen, altogether, Cirque has been performing for 34 years. Sure. The number of fatalities is very small if we compare that. But one fatality is always one too many. That's something extremely difficult to go through because it's losing a colleague, a brother, and uh, a friend. But the only way for us to go through grief is to keep doing what we do because that's what we do best and that's what we know how to do. We go through pain by performing. So the artists and the staff needed a break after everything that happened, obviously, but they were eager to keep performing because that's what keeps them happy and keeps them looking forward. The standards of, of safety in Cirque du Soleil are among the highest in the industry. And to answer the question, we're not told what or no, what not or what to say because it, it's, it's just common sense. It's certainly supposedly more exciting for an audience if there's no net, but at the same time, you don't want to put anybody in danger. 
safety is always the first priority. So in a case where you have an aerial artist doing a number where there's no net, it is because it is not possible to have one or because it is deemed safe for the artist. Number one priority is to is safety and offer the audience an experience they will enjoy and they will remember within these guidelines. You know, live entertainment is based on empathy. It is humans relating to humans. We're never going to have robots on stage because you don't relate to robots. You watch that one minute and it's over. You want to relate to human and you want to put yourself in their shoes. So when you see someone flying through the air, you imagine yourself doing this. In Volta, we have an extremely talented artist. She does hair suspension. It's, it means being suspended in the air by your hair. No one can imagine that, but she does it perfectly and so graciously it is beautiful to watch. But you relate to that, just the face you made is you think it must be painful. But that's, that's how live entertainment uh, works and that's the experience. We want them to be amazed and to go back home and feel that they spent two hours in a, you know, in a different space. That particular act, where did you see it the first time and what was your reaction? Myself, the first time I saw it was in Volta when we did a creation in Montreal. My reaction is how on earth can she do that? And I still don't know to, to this date because it's her trick. Not even the wardrobe people know what she does. There's no trick. Uh, there's a ring, a metal ring in her hair, which is clipped to uh, a wire. Uh, with a rigger and that's it so how precisely she puts her hair and everything we don't know but there's no trick there's no harness or anything she's really suspended by her hair you know when you say that nobody knows how they do it in some of these cases how often does that happen usually i would assume other people have to know because they're putting the act together well, that's precisely just for this type of act, for the hair suspension. We know everything that has to do with that number. That what I mean is when she puts her bun together and puts her hair together, she's by herself in a privacy moment in the bathroom. Okay. So we don't actually see her do the bun, but uh, we know she's you know well taken care of and well, uh, well uh, attached. Are there any stories, really weird things that happened that at any particular event that were really cool even, where you go, wow, that's wrong, but that's right? Well, spoiler alert, we have several clown numbers in our show. And one particular night in Toronto last year, the number is based on washing machine. The clown is going crazy because he's trying to wash his clothes and the washing machine won't work properly. So he's trying to throw the basket in the, in the washing machine and it's supposed to go out on the other side. One night he missed the target and he threw the basket besides the washing machine and then next thing you know in the other one then the basket goes out so people realize oh he missed it but then the thing came out and he realized people started bursting in laughs and he said this is so good we're going to keep that and from that night in toronto he always does that every night and people think it's uh, not on purpose but it's actually on purpose to create that expression that people laughing because they think he missed it but it's kind of a, a little trick he does does that stuff happen often or is this like the only case that you know of where Something happens and suddenly it gets incorporated. That would be one of the only one. However, uh, the shape diving number, the hoop diving number in which Bradley Anderson takes part, uh, this is one of the number where the artists play a lot with the audience. They kind of feel the audience and they test the reaction and they play with them because it's hoop diving. It's not very high. They just stumble and play around and dance. So sometimes if they feel that people react a certain way, they're going to put it again or they're going to pretend they miss or they're, they're very playful. It's a very good number and a big crowd pleaser. But that's one of the where the numbers where uh, the artists are going to try to uh, to go tickle the uh, the audience a little bit. How much is ad lib? How much is just on the spur of the moment in a show? 
So there's no such thing as freezing a show in circus as opposed to theater. There's uh, one number uh, which Joey Arrigo, our ballet dancer, does. He's alone on stage and he does a ballet routine. It's only him every night. He does the same thing every night because he's, he's alone. Every other number, you never really know what's going to happen on stage because it's a lot of people. If we talk about the, the hoop, for example, sometimes they may miss or something might happen. So you never know what's going to happen on stage in circus. And that's very interesting music-wise because what does the band do? What does the band leader do when he sees a number that's not the same number night after night? He needs to adapt to it. If you watch theater, the music plays and the performers learn the track and they play to the track. Here it's the opposite. The show goes on and the band member watch the show and they play to the show. So the music is never the same. The number is never the same. So the experience is always different every night. So I've seen a couple of shows where they miss first time through and then they will do it again until they get it right. Is that correct? That's correct. At some point, if they miss and they miss, they won't keep going. But in the hoop diving number, uh, if they miss, they're going to try it again because people get on the tip of their toe and they want them to, re to, to succeed and they really uh, support them. It creates this crazy atmosphere in the big top. When Joey goes through the hoop, if he were to miss the first time, he would almost act as if that was intentional. It depends on, it goes with the feel. Sometimes they'll start again. Sometimes he's, he's going to pretend it was uh, meant to be. But Joey is a ballet dancer. He, he does do a little cameo, a little, uh, a few hoop uh, dives right. in the number with Brad. But he learned that in that show. He doesn't do the craziest trick because he's not a professional, but he do it. He does a few. And uh, the other guys, they, they, they teach him how to do it. And they, they, he learned it on the, on the fly. You have a number of shows going on now how many shows are in preparation that we haven't heard of yet i mean how often do they add shows or remove shows? Cirque du Soleil has altogether 20 shows, 20 somewhat shows uh, presented currently around the world. There's one show in creation that's Alegria, uh, which will be coming back next year under Big Top. It's the first time of the history that a Big Top is remounted. You know, brainstorming and ideas are always going because it's a creative company, uh, but we'll probably have some news soon. What happens to Volta afterward, after it leaves San Francisco? So after San Francisco, we're going to San Jose from March, from February to March. Then we're going to San Diego and Chicago. We uh, have a, probably a 10, 15 uh, years of touring uh, in front of us. One big top shows uh, are finished uh, touring the world. Sometimes they are remounted in arena where they're going to have a second life and they're going to tour the world for another two, three years. And then they're going to rest. Do the performers stay with the show the entire time? I mean, is, is Bradley going to be doing Volta for the next five years? Only God knows. We don't have a crystal ball, but if they wanted, they could. That's really a personal choice. Having 20 shows with Cirque du Soleil gives them the opportunity at some point to switch shows if ever they wanted to. So they have the opportunity to go from one show to another if they, if they choose or to stay with the one if they want. Correct. So some people, for example, some people will want to have more stability in their life where well, we have seven shows presented right now in Vegas. So they might say, well, I'd like to join O or Ka or Love and have more of a, we can't say nine to five, but have more of a, you know, a stable house and a family and kids, but then do your show at night and come back home. You've been listening to members of the company of Cirque du Soleil Volta, now at the Big Top near AT&T Park in San Francisco through February 3rd, 2019, before heading down to San Jose. For more information, you can go to CirqueDuSoleil.com. Feedback on this and other Radio Walensky podcasts is appreciated. You can write to bookwaves at hotmail.com. 
You can listen to other interviews either as Radio Walensky podcasts or in the archives pages of bookwaves.com. Until next time, I'm Richard Walensky on the Area 941 Radio Walensky podcast.